Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very happy to introduce all of our listeners to Alex Hardy and Tara Uzan Hardy. They are the owners at the table BYOB. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So for our listeners out there who are not familiar with some of the things BYOB, you do have some limited... uh, availability, but for your menu purposes, I mean, you have a menu that is, you know, right from the notebooks of uh, Ferran Adria and Elbele and, and, you know, you're, you're playing with things that a lot of chefs in the city are not really well adept at yet. And you're creating meals for people that really focus about flavor, seasonal ingredients, and things like that. How did the two of you get into molecular gastronomy? You know, obviously sous vide, which a lot of caterers use today, but purification and working with compression and, you know, so many other scientific techniques that are being used in the kitchen today. Oh, God. First off, you're you're clearly reading our notebook. I don't know. <laughs> the first name you pulled out there, I was like, oh, God, he, he knows way too much. <laughs> we have walls of all their cookbooks yeah. that yeah. we sort of try to get inspiration from. But Alex's background is much more technical than mine. You know, the thing about food for us, I think, is you have to remember where you are. You have to remember what you're doing. And, you know, you have your causes of why you're doing it. And then you think something as simple as meat and potatoes. You know, this is this is Pennsylvania. It's a Quaker state, right? How do you take meat and potatoes, still have it meat and potatoes, but make it different, make it unique? So I don't know. <laughs> and, I, and I apologize because I have not been to your establishment yet. And Today was a motivation doing a little bit of research to get me there. My background is I have a background in science, but I then became a chef. So this just appealed to me so much. You know, what you're talking about and what you're doing there is really the essence of teaching people flavor. It's not, let's add a little bit of salt. Let's add a Mediterranean seasoning blend. You're taking foods and bringing them down to their essence and captivating that. And as simple as I saw your Thanksgiving menu for your takeout things. So, you know, to be doing, you know, a simple truffled mashed potato, but doing that correctly and to be doing a wild mushroom gravy, you know, in a state that's known for our mushrooms and our wild mushrooms, you're really touching on flavor. So a little bit about, I mean, obviously maybe it goes back to your culinary roots or your culinary background, but what was your early inspiration to you? to really seek the path that was not utilized as much. I grew up with a family that was this very food focused and food driven. My grandfather was a, a butcher in South Philly. So like having family meals every night was like, it was a big part. I was lucky enough to travel a lot with my family. So I was able to experience different food from all over the world. My parents would never be like, okay, you, you have to have the kids meal. Like I would always have to order off the adult menu and, you know, try everything. I've always tried everything that was presented in front of me. And I think that sort of has been a way that I take food and look at food as we're cooking now. Me personally, I studied under the right way of in fine dining, as they say, you know, you start 
as you know, start as a dishwasher and work your way up, and, and then you go to line cook and then sous chef and then so on and so forth. For me, it was all about the sheer tenacity of watching the cooks work the line, and it was just something that was I was in awe of. It was beautiful, it was magical, it was a dance. It was something about the responses the yes, chef, we chef. It was the speed at which and, and the technicality that my I would like to say my mentors had shown me that pseudo concept from the bear when they when they sit sit there and say every second counts it's it's true and yes we love that movie yeah. show, <laughs> that show. Show. Yeah. everyone always yes. asks us yeah. that yeah. when they come in <laughs> Yeah. And it's like just but doing I wanted to learn. I wanted to I was eager. I was I was I was usually, you know, I was always the first person there, always the last one to leave with the chef and and always wanted to be like to try something new and then to, to go home and, and be like, Mom, can we go to the store real fast and get this? Because I really want to try this. And then and then I got intrigued under under people like, you know, Thomas Keller is one of my He's, he is my idol, if you will. In seeing some of the stuff that he was doing, you know, the Ferran Adria and stuff, like it was, it was different. But it was like there was there was some sexiness to it, some value to it. Some like, oh my god, like we're you know we're taking this over the top. Let's just if we're gonna have these people have a meal with us, let's just make them feel like they're blown away, you know. And then yeah, I, I have to tell the two of you this conversation right now. It's actually getting a little bit emotional for me. And the fact that this week, if you're not aware in the city of Philadelphia, we're celebrating the passing or memorializing one of the great Philadelphia culinarians and, and instructors, a gentleman by the name of Manfred Bast, who just epitomized everything you just talked about. Yeah. And when you spoke about Thomas Keller, people often ask me, what the best item I ever had in my entire life was. And it immediately I go back to Thomas Keller having a consomme, a vegetable consomme that he did that just as it went into, it was a, you know, gelatin that went into a 450, 500 degree bowl and began to, you know, liquefy. And it just, was like eating the garden. The flavors were so rich in that. So as you talk, you know, obviously it's just it's inspiring because what you're talking about is food in its essence. And food is a, a form of, you know, language and love. And growing up in South Philadelphia for you, Tara, is just you know, that that family meal, that seeing food processed and, and where it comes from and the roots, it's such a wonderful thing. And obviously, you know, your restaurant carries that out today um, in, in what you do. One of the, the things I saw, you, you undertake a lot out of your restaurant there on the main line. I mean, you have an incredible six course chef's tasting menu. You have uh, a phenomenal raw bar menu and you also do a la carte i mean was did you set out to take on something that ambitious all at once or has it just grown into that what did we do we were we went from like oh my god for years it was 
tasting menu only then it was a la carte yeah thing, and then it was like so we, yeah we just moved a couple months ago so we were able to expand and then our dream we always go up to martha's vineyard every summer so while we're designing this restaurant we have like an ode to where we go every summer so that was sort of how the raw bar was inspired we we love oysters and everything seafood and we wanted our customers you know we want to give that to our customers too so that's sort of how yeah i that think was, it's, it's unique it's it's not just like, yeah, it's not, it was, it was the thought process of when we went up to the vineyard, but it was also like, when we wanted to build this, it was kind of a, a take on so many different aspects and to be able to combine those into one, but enable to, in, in, in the ability to have that space that we have in the kitchen and to have a walk-in, and, I mean, for Six, seven years. Seven years. We we were working out of a twenty four seat restaurant that didn't have a walk in. That only had two reach ins. It was kind of a you know everything we were inherited stuff like that. And and to make a success out of that was to for me was uh, something incredible. But I wanted me, me personally. I wanted to be able to take a next step in evolutionary balance of of our tasting menu. That's one of the big ones that I really heavily focus on Tara heavily focuses on the a la carte mm -hmm. which is kind of I think I've always been saying it and everybody shuts me down they're like a la carte is more comfort which is more Tara style the tasting menu is more fine dining which is my style and they're like dude your food's none of your food is comfort at all it's beautiful it's present to it's presented beautifully it's it gets shut down a <laughs> lot real fast but uh it is a lot but it's definitely a lot to take in and when you when you're out there and you're working on the floor or if you're just taking a walk and seeing all your customers and whether they're eating the langoustine toast which is like a derivative off of jean george's toast mm -hmm. and then you see somebody who's having a plate of oysters and then the other person who's having a mushroom toast the feeling is still the same that feeling of love that feeling of like it's so quiet and it's so like you just you almost feel it you feel the vibe if you will why am i saying vibe a lot <laughs> i don't know i'm saying a lot i'm gonna say feel the love <laughs> feel the love you know? like, it's, like, it's just it's just something that you may internally feel like oh my god okay this is a lot of stuff. This is too much. How do we prep this? How do we do this? But when you're sitting there and it's seven o'clock and the dining room is empty because it's not empty, but empty with sound because people are just eating and they're just laughing and loving everything. I, that's why we do it. That's why you, that alone right there. I spent many years in a classroom teaching young chefs and I would always speak to them early on about the power of being a chef. And I would speak to that when you walk through your dining room at the end of the night and people are talking about how great the food is and thanking you for the meal and thanking you for the feeling they have. And then paying that bill and paying you for your services, which is empowering in its own sort. But that silence where there's no conversation, there's just that enjoyment, there's that solitude where the people are just, you know, totally engrossed in what you serve that is you know a power that is just beyond anything if you're not a chef i guess you know if you're an artist and, and you see people lost in your art it's the same thing and, and i really uh appreciate you sharing that the way you did moments ago because it's so true well you know i mean you know this 100 is the moment you walk in the door to a restaurant is the moment you you start telling a story from a to z all the way to the point where you leave and that's important and that's hospitality especially 
ever since COVID. I mean, hospitality's had to go through the roof and we've had to make sure that it's like, you're not coming into a restaurant. You're coming into our house. You're coming into our home. You know, if I know you, I've got a lot of customers, you know, they, they always say, you know, they'll look at me and they'll be like, oh, who's this guy's on the floor tonight? You know, they, they get to know you and they love, and I love that. She loves it. She loves that, you know, the cooking aspect of, of, you know, what, how many people can we do without sacrificing anything? Yeah. Sacrificing anything. I can't say, I couldn't say the word because I was told I had to put tape on my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> Sacrificing, not bastardizing. You know, it, 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 that's that's why you know it, it stems back to your original question of why. Why is it? What do we do? It's different. Why are we different? Because every place, no matter what, is different. You have to be different, especially if you want to succeed. If especially if you want to do, you know, be known, if you will, and get awards and this that. And every there's a there's a great line from Daniel Ballou that says every 10 years uh, a restaurant must evolve and and it's and it's important because you know the food has to change a little bit the food change we change the food we change the food because we get because we get bored we'll get bored <laughs> get it's not bored. because of seasonality it's because we're bored <laughs> yeah. we're like all right I've cooked this so many times like yeah. I'm, I'm over it you know I, I think it's cool I think it's something our customers Definitely love. Well, listening to the two of you, you've certainly been inspired and, you know, mentored in, in some ways by some of the great culinary leaders and chefs, you know, throughout the throughout the last 20 years. And it's really wonderful to see what you're putting forth, you know, honoring those traditions and that hard work and that dedication. And that's, you know, something so important. And I guess what I keep going back to with the two of you is you didn't take the easy route. You know, a lot of people can hire a marketing company and we can design a menu that is kind of a little different and it has a little gimmick or has this and that. You really are putting in, you know, what do they say? You know, that the the true gastronomy is coming into an empty kitchen every day and starting fresh. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that in your establishment. You know, you're you're starting with your stocks and you're you're right at the basic, you know, in, in what's taught in culinary school and you're adhering to that and not cheating and not taking, you know, the the, the road, you know, not taking the easy way out. Shortcuts. Thank you. So one of the other things that I noticed you're doing is you're taking your menu and you're also doing some catering with it now as well. How is, I mean, what you're doing is the flavors and all, you know, have to be difficult to take out to a different location. Um, How's that being received? And and obviously, um, you know, what difficulties have you found in doing that? Um, I mean, I, I love catering. I started my career basically as a private chef and delivering meals to people's homes, um, and through this restaurant, um, my catering, it's it's evolved and we do a lot of private parties at the restaurant. And then, as you said, off site. So what I love about or one of the things I love about catering is it's always different. And you're sort of you're walking into somebody's home and you got to figure it out. Maybe one of their burners doesn't work. Maybe they, the have, a, they have a big. tiny little kitchen and I still have to execute a 
you know, a six course tasting menu for 20 people. I have a group, like a team that I've worked with for probably, you know, 10, 12 years they've worked with me. Um, so we just sort of, we don't even have to talk about it. We just know exactly what the other person's going to do. She doesn't send me. Anything. I don't send Alex. No, <laughs> but... <laughs> so I sort of head up the, the catering department yeah. team, of, oh, team of one. Oh, it's amazing. Every, every single time somebody calls and they're like, yeah, can I get a reservation? And I say, yeah, I can do that for you. Or can you tell me about the menu? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then they're like, can you tell me about catering? I'm like, yes, please hold. <laughs> ah, I love that. Okay. <laughs> I apologize because I took up way too much of your time and I, I want to carry this conversation on for hours, oh. uh, you know, because just everything you have inspired within me again. And, and it's just wonderful to talk about, but can you tell our listeners uh, where they can find you out there on the main line, um, what your social media is and, you know, how to get in and, and try the incredible things that you're doing. Um, yeah. Um, so our website is www.atthetablebyob.com. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, just look up at the table BYOB. Um, we're actually, our new restaurant is um, right on 118 West Lancaster Avenue across from the Fine Wine and Spirits. Thank you so much for, for joining us on Food <laughs> like, and Chats. We, we, we will continue this and conversation then... <laughs> on another episode. <laughs> and we Thank can bring you, you back on for another episode, yes. There we go. <laughs> All right. Come on out to see us. <laughs> All uh, right. You could bet you could bet on it. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. All right. And thank you. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very happy to introduce you to the co-owner of Fringe Bar, which is located in Philadelphia, Chef Kenny. <laughs> welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. So um, I, I know prior to like hopping on, you were like, don't call me Chef Kenny. And I was like, oh, I'm going to call you Chef Kenny. So that's why I did that. But um, <laughs> let our listeners know, like, how did you get into the business? Because I know that you've worked very closely with Peter Woosley, who is, you know, the owner of Le Bistro La Manette and, you know, several other restaurants. But You've worked with him and now you co-own things with him. So how did you get into the the hospitality and, and restaurant industry? Yeah, um, I took a very circuitous route. You know, I always loved food growing up. I get my love of food from my family, particularly my love of cooking from my mother. She always was there ready to make a really delicious meal. And whenever I showed interest, even at a young age, like eight or nine, she would always show me what she was doing. And that really got me going. You know, in high school, I worked at McDonald's, which I always tell people is like my introduction and a lot of people's introduction 
to cooking because it's a readily available job, but teaches you a lot of things about, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts of cooking, like making sure things are the right temperature and making sure you check things to make sure they're fresh once you cook them, right? So, and then out of high school, I got into a very good four-year university and went there. The whole time I was there, dabbling into cooking. So I worked at a sushi restaurant. I worked at a creperie. And I just kind of caught the bug and took it from there. You know, it's uh-huh. wonderful to have that diverse background. You know, so many times people say, oh, well, you know, you don't, you, you didn't make, you know, a climb up the ladder. You kind of did a vertical going across. But, you know, you learn something from every one of those little establishments. And yes, you can learn you know, something from, from a McDonald's or, you know, a Burger King, you, you learn systems and all that stuff comes back into play. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think, you know, is so important that I, and you talk about there is that toolbox that you took from everywhere you went. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of, you know, talked about getting the bug, loving and enjoying cooking and working in restaurants. But I started, once I graduated, I had student loans, right? So I thought to myself, well, am I going to be a, you know, $8 an hour line cook? This is back when I graduated in, you know, 2001. You can make 8 or $9 an hour as a line cook. Or am I going to go into something else? So I went into front of the house management and I was a front of house manager for 10 years before I even started my like true culinary journey. And so when you talk about a toolbox, right, like... I got to see things in restaurants from all angles. I got to see sort of the operational stuff in the front, how to work with customers face-to-face. And then, you know, when I eventually did go into the kitchen and started learning about food and cooking, I always had the mentality of guest first, because that's what you're taught in front of the house when you're a manager. So um, that well-rounded sort of toolbox, like you said, has kind of made me the restaurateur that I am today. Uh, I say restaurateur, I own one restaurant, but you know, but it informs all aspects of what I do. And that's important because a restaurant isn't just the food you put out. It's the food you put out, the service, the attention to detail, but also building your employees, right? So there's a lot that goes into it. So there is. And I want to just touch note on the fact that the fringe bar is latched on or in the same building as fringe arts. And I'm wondering with, you know, the art of, you know, plating something that's not only just beautiful, but also tastes really good. Do you coincide with like your menu? Do you coincide it with what, a, you know, whatever performance is going on? Yeah. So the fringe arts space is, is very big. Um, and it's very complicated. Right? So um, just to let the listeners know a little bit about us, right. We're on North Columbus Boulevard, 140 North Columbus Boulevard. We're right underneath the Ben Franklin Bridge. Um, So when it comes to spaces with a great view, ours is bar none, one of the best in the city, Um, especially from the ground level, right? You don't have to be at the top of one of the Comcast buildings to get the view here. You could be sitting in the patio and get the view. Um, But there's a theater next door to us. Um, And so we are a restaurant who serves a, you know, 120 seat inside space, a 200 to 300 seat outdoor space. And then when you add the theater to it, it's it's very complex. So um, occasionally we do small events that coincide food with what uh, art is going on in the theater. Um, but on the whole, what we try to do 
is provide an amenity to the theater space. So if you come for a show, you know you can get dinner after, dinner before, drinks after. And that to us is the key. Um, you know, if you go to any of the, and Philly is a city with great theaters, right? And then you go to any of those theaters and you have concessions, you have some wine and beer, but you don't have the ability to have a full meal necessarily. You're usually doing like a, a pre-theater somewhere close, right? Um, our guests here, when they say, oh man, I'm nervous about my meal um, being fast enough until the show starts, we tell them, you've got a 30 second walk to the theater <laughs> and a one minute wait in line, right? So you can literally dine with us until you know, 7.55 if you're eight o'clock showing, right? Um, which I think it makes us different from other theaters. Um, but yeah, so we we try to involve um, as a team because we see Fringe Arts and Fringe Bar as a team um, to bring art into what we do in the restaurant. And it is not always through food. Sometimes it's as an accompaniment. So we actually have a mini stage in the restaurant um, and so we'll do things like um, live music performances there. So right now on Thursdays, we have like a small band um, day that happens every almost every Thursday where there's a small band live music there. It's a great way to sort of see up and coming bands in the area. Um, sometimes we do uh, parties where there's DJs on that stage. But during certain uh, parts of the year, uh, we actually have entertainment that is in partnership with Fringe and the Fringe Arts Festival. So comedians there, drag shows, stuff of that nature. Um, we have a cabaret series upcoming, um, which will have a food component as well, right? So you can kind of see how Fringe Bar is a space that has a little bit of something for everyone. It really does. And I know that you also um, started uh, or added on, I should say, Pump House Pizza. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So um, again, like I said, the space is so big and so diverse that um, there's really room for us to expand and grow um, using some of the footprint that we have. So we actually have a, um, a pizza truck that is parked in the beer garden, um, which has a double deck deck oven. Um, that we do really delicious pizza out of. Um, and, you know, it started up in late September. Uh, so there wasn't as much opportunity to service the beer garden, you know, outside dining crowd as there would have been if it started in the summer. But when we get to next summer, uh, well, next spring, really, um, it'll be completely outdoors. So we have a beer garden that has two levels to it. The top level of the beer garden um, or top and bottom is confusing. That's a me term. Um, so there's a there's a portion of the beer garden that's right in front of the restaurant. That portion we do sit down dining service for fringe bar. Now on the other part, it's uh, got like a recycled gravel uh, bed and um, uh, wooden uh, picnic tables. And that is what we consider sort of the pump house pizza area. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a completely outdoor pizzeria. Um, you know, people ask me what kind of style of pizza we do. Um, I tell them we do Kenny style, right? <laughs> um, and I, I like to explain it to people. You know, I went to school in New Haven um, and I'm from New York. Uh, so two very good pizza cultures. Um, I like a thin, crispy pizza with what I call a firm undercarriage <laughs> um, and well-cooked with well 
flavored dough. Um, and so that's the type of pizza we do. We only do one size. We have about 50 of them available a day. Um, and with some creative ingredients, like right now, the pump house pizza is Fresno chilies and Induja, uh, mm -hmm. spreadable chorizo. So it's really flavorful, really spicy. Um, and we do everything by hand. So we don't purchase our dough. We make it in house. We ferment it for three days before we serve it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's some of the best pizza in the city. I was actually, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I was going to ask you, I've, I know some, some Italian restaurants, some pizza places, like they'll carry over, they'll like utilize old dough, like, and just continue, you know, with that process, that fermentation. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, part of the, um, dough making in general, um, whether it's pizza dough or even something like I did at Bistro Laminette, which mm -hmm. we make baguette every day. Um, is putting a starter to your dough. Now, there's a bunch of different starters, but basically any starter is just a pre-fermentation, right? So it inc uh, includes yeast that you use either as the entire um, leavening process, so like sourdough, right? Or yeah. as a flavoring component. And so typically taking old dough and putting it into new dough is for flavor, not for yeast. Okay. Um, and so we do do that. Yes. So we make our dough on day one. We serve it on day three. We can serve it on day four. Anything left over gets set aside and a small portion gets added to the fresh dough and it helps to build the flavor characteristic. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was getting at, because I'm like, I know that it it kind of it's almost like a, a signature for your pizza. Exactly. Yeah. It's like our flavor of the pizza really has to do with the dough, you know, and you can tell the difference between a dough that's on day three and day one. Day one is very, very, very um, commercially bouncy, <laughs> right? You can see it. It's very evenly hold throughout. Um, day three dough is kind of wild, right? Yeah. It looks like very abnormally craggy with big holes, small holes, um, but yeah, the, it's the, about the flavor, right? Like anything else, time helps develop flavor and the time on that dough helps to develop that flavor. So, yeah. That is very cool. And, um, I know that we're covering a lot and I know that my focus wanted to be on just fringe bar and, and whatnot, but I want to give a nod to the Morris. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that one, too. So that's a, a project I have in. Yeah, no, I have a lot going on. Um, that's a project I have in uh, collaboration with a, a management group that owns the uh, building. Um, so it's their restaurant and I have helped to guide the opening of it. Um, the Morris is a neighborhood steakhouse. So what we do there is we provide some of the steakhouse classics. We dry age steaks in house. Um, we use uh, certified Angus beef for our house steaks. We have a nice affordable steak at $33. The difference between our steaks and a normal steakhouse steaks is always comes with the sauce, always comes with the side. So there's the value there as well. And for me, you know, uh, dining is as much about experience as it is value. What separates you from every place else is what you bring to the table. And what part of what we bring to the table at the Morris is a great steakhouse experience with value um, for the dollar. So you get a little bit more than normal. 
Um, but the space is amazing. Um, there's a huge garden between the Morris House Hotel and the restaurant. So you can dine al fresco in the garden area. It's tented and heated. So if you want to sit outside and enjoy the space of the garden <laughs> and the beauty, you can do that all season. So that's always a bonus. Yeah. Uh, and um, now I'm going to circle back really quick because I would love to bring you on again, just specifically to talk about the Morris, because I know that's a brand new restaurant and, yeah. you know, new space. And I, and I think also um, the chef there, Grant, would be great, too, because he knows he worked with me at Bistro. He's a great asset to the team. And so we could tag team that together. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, especially because I, I I'm. I know that Gene's some, you know, not only a chef, but he's also somebody who enjoys food equally as much as I do. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've definitely eaten at uh, Le Bistro Le Bistro Lamanette. I keep saying that <laughs> the Bistro, uh, Bistro Lamanette. Bistro Lamanette, yeah. Yes, I keep putting a the in yeah, front Bistro. of it for some reason, but I've eaten there several times. I love it every single time that I go there. Um, and I've passed by the Fringe Arts. I unfortunately have not eaten there, but I'm definitely tempted now. We'll have to have you in. Yeah, uh, but I'm wondering if Gene's uh, gone to the gone to Fringe Bar. I have actually. I, you know, it, it's funny when you were talking about the pizzas and things like that. One of my impression from being there was walking away saying somebody who understands flavor, somebody who yeah. understands flavor, because people do not. You know, we were just talking about this a few minutes ago about taking shortcuts and you know those old world techniques of taking a little bit of old dough and where we get it with the new dough because the old dough while it may not have the structure anymore it has the flavor and how that wonderful and that and what i walked away with with was somebody who understands flavor and i'll go back to that every time thank you so much i appreciate that yeah i kind of view myself as a chef as um, you know, uh, well, let me take this back as a chef. I feel like lots of my culinary experiences, um, are what make me, um, cook the way I cook today. Right. Um, and so I like to make sure that I pay homage to that as much as possible. Um, because I think food really is a personal reflection of yourself. Um, and it is very easy like you said, to take shortcuts, but not just that you, you try to, you have a business to run as well. Right. So you try to make decisions that will please people. And sometimes those decisions can get clouded and you don't always make the right ones. So the thing that I always fall back on is, is this food that I'm making is the dish that I'm creating is the ambiance that I'm trying to create is it a reflection of what I want to give guests? And then you leave it up to the guests to receive it well. And you change things that maybe need changing because they don't work. But if you try to um, think of what a guest wants and then deliver that, you will miss the mark every time because every person's different. People aren't a monolith. So you're much better off um, just trying to um, build your restaurant and your cuisine, put out food that you're proud of, that reflects you, that you have a connection to, because in that way, the cuisine will shine 
And then people will acknowledge that. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I have mm. at times have learned the hard way that, you know, maybe I'm trying to put the square peg into the round hole. Right. Um, and so I just, you know, make my food reflections of who I am. You know, I've got a very diverse background, half black, half white. Um, I'm Jewish um, culturally um, in my not my upbringing, but my lineage. Um, I learned how to cook from my mother, who was African-American, but she went to college with a whole bunch of Italian people. So I grew up eating stuff like mac and cheese right next to lasagna. <laughs> right. And so the best way for me to pay homage to that is to have that reflected in my food. And and I always do. That is a wonderful. I would love to delve into that further the next time that you're on. But unfortunately, we ran out of time. So yeah, absolutely. Can you- can you let us, our listeners know where to find uh, Fringe Arts, Fringe Bar, <laughs> and everything else? Everything that I do, right? So um, we'll start with uh, the Fringe Arts is fringearts.com. Uh, that's the building we're in. We're at 140 North Columbus Boulevard. That's where you can visit us. You can check us out online at fringebarphilly.com. And that's the same Instagram handle. So at fringebarphilly. If you're interested in the pizza, you can get us at pumphousepizza.com and the Morris is the morrisphilly.com. All right. So Thank all you. easy. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs, Chef Kenny. Thank you Thank so you much. I appreciate much. you guys. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs radio show where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Jean Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very happy to introduce all of you to Ben Beaver, who is the executive chef of Wild Rabbit Pies and Pites, Evergreen Brewing Company, and you also work on Evergreen Farms. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. That's a lot, but... Yeah. (laughs) Happy, Happy to be here. No problem. So as I was researching you, there's very little on your history. So I would love to even learn about how you got started, where you studied and, you know, anybody who may or may not have inspired you. So um, I've been doing this about 20 years now. I'm 35. So I started pretty young. I actually grew up in a house that my mom was a pretty decent home cook. And then from there, I went to a vocational school for high school. So I didn't go to your average high school, you know, vocational, I don't feel is talked about enough. You know, I started four-year high school career pretty much starting with food service. So I really got a college education in high school. You learn all your basic knife skills, mother sauces, all that stuff. You you, you literally learn in high school for free. From there, I, I just got in with good chefs and uh, worked with, with at good restaurants and kind of moved my way up. You know, I did, really didn't go the culinary degree route. <laughs> I mean, I, learning with hands-on experience, especially when you, you start, I have a, a friend who's a professional chef and he's a celebrity chef at that. Um, and he teaches high school students at a vocational school. Um, and I've had him on several times before it's, it's integral, it's integral, um, to, 
to learn those, that set of skills. I know, you know, just from all of my chef friends, I'm self-taught on how to cook at home, but the person that's probably chomping at the bit right now is uh, my co-host Gene, because he used to teach students, but he's also a chef. So I'm sure he has some, something to say in regards to that. (laughs) Well, you are absolutely right in the fact that Nobody talks enough about vocational education. I spent 15 years teaching high school vocational education, uh, culinary, pastry, front of the house, and it is not something that uh, people, you know, talk about enough. And I'm going to leave it very simply. When I spent a couple years in Philadelphia, I had kids graduating from high school, going on to work in places like the Crystal Tea Room and the Union League and other places, making more money than their mom and dad were making. You know, when you can do that and empower somebody to make a career, they don't necessarily have to go to school, but they were able to go into the workforce and be, you know, with a skill set, they can earn a living the rest of their life and work themselves up the ladder. We don't need to talk anymore about that, but you are 100% right, Jeff. So, and no debt. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. No yeah. yeah. Yes, and no debt. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to touch base on the fact that the, the Evergreen uh, Grains Brewing Company actually bought their own farm. And I think that it's very, very interesting that, you know, you guys not only own that farm, it's privately run by, by you guys. And that's actually where you pull your ingredients from when you're, when you're creating your, your menu. Like, so when, when you're doing locally fresh, you really are doing, (laughs) doing it at a local, super local micro local, um, aspect. Yeah. It's, uh, it's super local. Um, it's probably maybe a two or three acre plot of land. Um, you know, I think my growing area is, I think, 180 by 90 or 100 feet. Um, so I can get a lot of produce. I mean, I think this past season, I just, I mean, I'm still picking stuff now. Um, but this past growing season, I think I had about 100 different varieties of things between tomatoes to radish to lettuce to green beans, uh, tomatoes, 10 different varieties of tomatoes and, you know, anything that's, basic produce we're we're growing ourselves and i mean i'm sure gene can also attest to this because he also gardens i not to like continue to like you know tap gene in but like he he gardens as well and i know that creating dishes from the most like fresh aspect um changes the the dynamics of the dish like it changes how it tastes and how it comes together uh, you know, one of the things that I tell everybody, if you really want to learn to cook with fresh ingredients, join a CSA where you go every week or every other week and you get ingredients that you may not have ever worked with. You know, you may go, you know, at a particular point in time and get, you know, ramps or you might get, you know, a, some turnips and some rutabagas or some red beets and things like that that you're not used to working with fresh and you have no choice because this is what you have. And uh, what a wonderful lesson in cooking that is when you can make things with that and do that and every week and, and you really learn to cook through the seasons. That said, I'm going to ask you because 
since you didn't go through, you know, the the culinary uh, hospitality um, industry as far as uh, in act like the CIA or anything like that, um, what what is it like for you building upon your menu um, with the seasonality of the different produce that you're kind of gaining from farming? Um, honestly, it's I think it's super easy. Um, let I'm letting the ingredients do their job and highlighting the ingredients, not doing too much to them. Um, you know, you, you taste one of my tomatoes at Evergreen Farms compared to a tomato you get at your grocery store. I guarantee you it's going to taste different. Um, you know, I actually start planning menu items in January, February for like spring, summer, fall, um, because we, we get started so early with some things, get things germinated, uh, stuff like that. Uh, I actually already have plans for the majority of the stuff. Sometimes, though, you do get an excess amount of produce with things. And then, that's you know, cool. that's just going with the flow. And, and, and you know, we change our menu up weekly to monthly to whatever we need to do to just to utilize that product. So when you're creating these menu items, do you have like a set, like set items that stay on your menu all the time and then you switch up different things or do you switch the entirety of your menu up? I I do keep things that sell on. Um, for example, like, um, you know, at the brewery at Evergreen, uh, we do a Korean fried chicken. Um, you know, I grew Napa cabbage this year just to do kimchi and do that dish. Uh, but now we still do it, even though I don't have Napa cabbage anymore to, to make kimchi. Um, but there are some specialty things that we do just for summertime. Uh, we do a, a BBLT, which is like a BLT. We do our thick cut heirloom tomato, thick cut bacon, basil, mayo, burrata uh, on sourdough. So it's, it's our take on a BLT. Uh, we'll sell 80 to 100 of those a day. It's 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 kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, if you were clo- if you were closer, I 100 percent would be like, I'm driving over there now for that. <laughs> um so what are some of your other popular items and and you know do you pair that with the beers that are that are being um created and cultivated with the same ingredients that you're using to sorry so yeah we do uh we cook with a lot of the beers and we pair some of the beers with the food um i would say some of the style that we stick with that sells well for that area um, I do a lot of like Korean barbecue uh, that goes well with like some of the lighter beers. Um, summer or sorry, wintertime, fall time, we'll run a ramen uh, where we'll make hand stretched ramen noodles without uh, an alkaline noodle uh, with our dashi broth, soft egg. Um, that sells really well. And that pairs well with a lot of variety of different beers, not just like one variety, like an IPA or something that also goes with wintertime stouts, porters, darker beer, stuff like that. Um, you know, and I'm still a fan of pork belly. So I do a lot of pork belly, either a ramen. We have a pork belly grilled cheese on the menu. Uh, that sells very well. It's honestly one, I think one of the first sandwiches I put on like four years ago and it's still on, still kicking. So. (laughs) I mean, I love pork belly, so I can understand why. And it it kind of that salty, like heavy, like fat, like that kind of coincides with like, taking it taking a drinking a beer and having that it's just it i feel like that's a good menu item to have and very Uh popular (laughs) so um what uh like i 
I love a good stout and, you know, farmhouse ales and stuff like that are, are, you know, some of my favorites too. But when I cook, I love creating stuff with stouts. So what's your favorite thing to like make with a stout? Uh, right now we're doing a couple things. Uh, right now we have a French dip on the menu, um, that we do a stout like au jus. Um, mm-hmm. and it really, that stout really comes through, uh, in, in the sandwich. Uh, so we get whole ribeyes in and, and, um, we're not smoking. We'll sometimes we smoke them. We'll change the menu up. Uh, but we roast them. We slice them, do a nice French dip. Uh, we do a stout au jus. Um, and then I also have a stout gravy. We do kind of like my take on like a, like a pot roast entree, but we use short rib uh, that we're utilizing stout with. I love the fact that you incorporate your beers that way into that. Um, my current status, I operate uh, one of many things that are within my building, but we have a brewery and a, and a brewery menu. And, you know, beers become such an integral part of that cooking process, uh, you know, from a good beer cheese for, you know, the pub burger to, you know, incorporating a little bit into it, into our onion soup broth, uh, you know, just wonderful flavors come through and, and help you pair things. And as well as, you know, making suggestions on, you know, what beer is going to pair well with, with food. And so many people come in and obviously, you know, when you have a microbrewery, people want to try a little bit of everything, but then they're like, okay, you know, what's going to go well with my food and you know, being able to talk intelligently about that is such a wonderful thing. So, you know, with that said, what, what are some of the things that people can look forward to? Because I also know that you, you guys host a lot of events and, and, you know, whatnot. Do you have different special, special menus for the events that are popping up? So, yes. Um, once you know december is pretty wild for us with holiday we do catering so we do a lot of holiday parties we have banquet room um so once we get through that season we will do uh beer dinners and we'll pick themes and we'll you know do it with the seasonal stouts and stuff that are brewing at the time um and i and that's where i can really get creative and you know it's a brewery so we do casual style food uh but it's a good opportunity for me to do some little classier more upscale uh something kind of fun and creative um so we do that towards like the slower time of the year january february march um so though you know that'll be posted once we start doing them uh in the new year we'll we'll, we'll have that posted on, on all of our social media and and our website and all that stuff and i mean given given the farm and everything that you have your hands, you know, delved into. Um, I I want to also tie into the fact that Wild Rabbit opened, and you you're also the executive chef there as well. Yeah. So you know, congratulations on on being you know expanding upon your 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 history. <laughs> um, but what was that like opening a restaurant? You know, alongside of what you do. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, this was the second restaurant that got the opportunity to open. Um, so I've had some experience with what to expect and, um, you know, things I learned from, from the previous restaurant I opened up. Uh, but it was pretty wild to maintain a, a, a very, very busy brewery and then also open up a, another yeah, restaurant. Another. 
So it was, it was fun. Honestly, it was, it was a really good time. Um, you know, it's a, it's a wood fired uh, Neapolitan style pizza joint. So, you know, we do a, a really nice crust, a good dough. Um, it really got me about, it took me almost a year to really hammer down our dough and, 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 and to, to where it should be uh, and, and to, to make excellent pizza. You know I mean? I think people overlook pizza and they think it's just dough and, and cheese and sauce. Uh, there's honestly a lot to it. We literally just um, had a conversation with somebody uh, before you hopped on about pizza dough in particular. So, you know, I feel like every chef has their own version of like what they consider is a good, you know, slice of pizza or a good pie. Um, I personally like deep dish because it's like a sturdy, a sturdy pie um, and thin crust because obviously like you're, you're getting like the, just that gooey cheese that's, you know, more prominent. Um, so what, what is your style of pie? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, um, I really am on the, uh, the Neapolitan style pizza kick right now. Uh, but I honestly would have to say probably just, uh, uh, a New York style pizza would probably be my like go-to this simple. It's it, yeah. And I mean, I'm wondering now what Jean likes too. <laughs> oh, maybe we lost Jean. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> anyhow, um, with, with that said, like, what are you, what are we looking forward to with wild rabbit and with, um, ever evergreen and, you know, are you planting seeds moving for like moving forward? So, yeah, we are, um, I'm trying to get evergreen farms to be as yearly, uh, year round as possible. Uh, right now, come December, January, February, it's a little difficult to to grow, just depending on like last season, we didn't have much snow and it wasn't very cold. Um, so I'm, you know, working on getting a greenhouse and stuff like that so we can get some stuff year round. Um, and then as far as wild rabbit and evergreen go, uh, we're just going to keep creating new dishes, something that's different. Um, I don't like to do the run of the mill plain stuff that, that at other places do. Um, I, I like to, for the guests to come in and get something that they can't do at home. And, and the fact that we can do it really well and execute it very well. Um, I have a very good staff at both locations that, uh, honestly make that happen. You know what I mean? Without, without my staff, um, I would not be able to do half the stuff that I'm able to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, without them, I'm nothing. Uh, but, you know, seasonal menus, we're going to become, we, we come out with uh, new two or three menus per season. Uh, just keep, keep it changing. And uh, for our listeners out there that are, that are looking to visit you, where can they find you guys online and in person? So you can find us on, uh, on the internet, evergreenbrewing.com, um, our Instagram, evergreenbrewing.com, wild rabbit, pies and pints, um, you can find me at Chef Ben Beaver on Instagram. Um, and then we also have a Evergreen Farms Instagram uh, to check out. And I always post uh, when we're tilling and, and putting fencing, putting new fencing up. Um, you know, I do all that. It's not uh, uh, I, I learned a lot the past three years that we've done it. Um, growing everything. I, you know, I, I put fencing up. I'm catching groundhogs. It's, it's uh, a lot more than just putting a seed in and, and letting it grow 
for sure. I, I'm sure it is. <laughs> and I, you know what? I look forward to, you know, watching you continue growing, grow in your field. But um, I do want to thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Awesome. Thank you. I really, really appreciate being here. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and tune in every single week as we have new episodes with new restaurateurs and chefs. And we love to have our listeners learn about all of you. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.